Welcome to Mercer's podcast series on the new shape of work. I'm Kate Bravery, Global Advisory and Insight Leader at Mercer. And today I'm joined by David Henderson, Group CHRO at Zurich Insurance. Welcome, David. Hi, Kate. Great to be with you. Wonderful. Uh, you know, I'm so excited that we're coming together to chat on this topic. You know, one of the headlines that we had from Global Talent Trends this year uh, was just about the challenge HR is having in driving transformation agenda. And they pointed yeah. to three reasons for that. Number one, they said, our employees are exhausted. They've been through a lot in the last year. Yes. And two, change fatigue. We've thrown a lot at them, particularly technologically. And then three, they're grappling with too many distractions. You know, when those are the top three challenge, it, it does beg the question, have we figured out how to do this hybrid remote working right? Have we, have we really embedded health and well-being into our work agenda? And what, you know, what's the path forward to making sure that the future of work is being realized in a sustainable way. Um, so I'm so excited together, we're gonna to be tackle, tackling the topic of how do we simultaneously evolve for the new shape of work and optimize our business today, which I know is something that you've, uh, you've mentioned to me many times. Uh, so David, where I'd like to start with is maybe hearing about Zurich's trajectory through the pandemic uh, and your role as group CHRO. I think we all know that HR has been at the heart of everything that we've been experiencing. Um, and I'd be curious to hear what's been your biggest challenges, biggest learnings, you know, how has maybe some of the, the leadership or executive behaviors had to shift? Fantastic, Kate. Well, um, challenges and uh, opportunities, I think, uh, for all of us in HR. I mean, I think if you take one step back, I would say there are really three vectors of change. Um, the, the first, of course, is, is this concept of, of reinvention. Um, and that is, you know, how do companies like Zurich continue to perform flawlessly today, uh, but stay relevant tomorrow? And obviously that drives a, a, a tremendous amount of change through the organization. It's change that was already there before the pandemic that has accelerated dramatically. I mean, things we were expecting to encounter in terms of technological disruption five years from now have arrived today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, future of work, it's the now of work and the future of work, if anything, has arrived earlier than we all might have expected. So this concept of reinvention would be the first. The second is another R, it's responsibility. And I think that the responsibility side, you know, what it is for a company to um, be impactful in a multi-stakeholder world, to work across society, economies, uh, state governments, to be doing the right things and to be driving as, as we have a sustainability agenda. That's the second vector for change. And, and the third one, as you alluded to, is this uh, third R that I'll mention, rescoping. And that, of course, is, is coming through loud and clear on the hybrid work model, and I'm sure we'll have some time to discuss that. But without question, the most significant change um, in our lifetime of work, and I think very dramatic change, and I think, I think we're still learning a lot and we'll continue to learn a lot, but we underestimate the complexity that this throws at us uh, at our peril. And so I think that's, a, that, that, that's the third vector of change. Um, for us in Zurich, I would say those are all very present factors mm -hmm. in driving our thoughts in terms of in terms of the concept of what I will call work sustainability. Mm -hmm. And 
actually set out work sustainability as a manifesto back in 2019 um, as a way to explain what our commitment is to, to navigate people through these changes. Now, obviously, this was prior to the pandemic, but I think the themes that go into work sustainability are still very, very relevant for us. Well, it sounds like you're ahead of the curve there in beginning to think differently about what success looks like through a multi-stakeholder lens and, um, and thinking about um, work and working in a sustainable way. And, um, you know, you, you said that phrase a few times before with me, that the future, of, the future of work is the future of now. And I'd be curious to know how has been taking this more responsible lens maybe shifted some of the leadership behaviours you expect or some of the the behaviours you are seeing at the executive level? Quite, quite dramatically, I would say, Kate, and, and, and in many, many different ways. Um, I mean, the, the, the principles that we put out into the organisation some 18 months ago uh, were as follows. Firstly, you know, bias for developing our people, mm -hmm. new job opportunities, rather than hiring new skills externally. And of course, is, is, is fundamental to the concept of psychological safety and well-being that we want to bring into the organization. If you're worried about your job being replaced by automation, or if you're worried about whether you have the right skills or not, there's no way that you can give your best uh, to Zurich. So, so we really have put this bias on developing people internally, reskilling, upskilling. The other one is prioritizing in-house and local skills over outsourcing and offshoring solutions. And Zurich was a company like many other companies that, uh, if you wind the clock back, kind of pursued outsourcing, offshoring, um, truly unsustainable behaviors, seek deeper employment solutions merely for financial gain. So, again, something that's been driving a lot of behavior. And we've actually insourced just in the last year alone about 900 roles to bring new capabilities back into the organization. And, 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 and thirdly, it's about Offer, offering career choices that match the talent, but also the ambition of our people so that we're in the market needs today, but also critically tomorrow. And that's where our talent management strategy has really had to, to step up. So for leaders, uh, this has meant many things. It's meant, firstly, uh, don't outsource this uh, to HR. This is a business issue. It's not an HR issue. HR can help with the tools, the technology, the training the systems, uh, but we need line managers to step up and own this issue. Um, they've been doing that by firstly engaging workforce planning across the organization. We've put a tremendous focus, and we've done that at a, a business unit level, I would say, rather than trying to do that at the group level. We've looked at tools that give us a sort of 30,000 foot view of where the organization is going at the group, but really the, the detailed plans need to land within each of the businesses. It's also meant trying to create more of a learning organization, um, building new skills in a way that people are in, energized and empowered to learn. Uh, it's meant offering new career and redeployment opportunities uh, and building tools that are much more transparent around that, whether that's you know, uh, career transparency, skills transparency, compensation transparency, those are all really important themes. And, and of course, it's been about creating this feeling of security and shared ownership, um, mm -hmm. which is so important, as you mentioned, in terms of the well-being focus. So they're, they're, these have been the areas that have been driving us. And uh, I, th I think we, we're on a journey. I wouldn't say we're there, but we're very much focused on, on those areas. 
wonderful to see how skills is part of that sustainability agenda uh, and how you actually enact it. Because I think a lot of people have made those statements, but when I hear 900 roles being insourced, um, that's a genuine commitment to your people and, and your people's development. I will come in a moment to talking about talent management, because I think we're fascinated about talent management, talent marketplace, and how that has evolved. But I love that point that you mentioned at the beginning about the link between that bias to develop people and psychological safety. Because I think one of the things we see whenever we face a crisis mm. is in all of our data, employees' concerns about do I have a job and what is my future and my future livelihood spike up. And of course, often when we have a crisis, what we want is creativity and innovation. And you stifle all innovation and risk-taking with that. Um, so I, I'm fascinated to hear how you built that. And the last point you mentioned about transparency, I've heard you use the phrase radical transparency around comp before, and I know we get some reward listeners. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that, because I, I think they're all related to that psychological safety um, and helping people see pathways, but I'd love to hear from you. Yes. Um, so first, firstly, I mean, Zurich, like every other company, has faced, I think, a moment of truth in the last 15 months. Uh, for us, it's, it's been a real acid test of, of work sustainability, the principles that I outlined earlier. Because, of course, like every other company, we, we faced an imbalance of supply and demand when it came to talent because we were in an unprecedented business situation. Um, and what I'm really proud of in our company is we, we, we chose not to furlough. Uh, employees. We cho chose not to lay off employees, even though that might have been the easier path to take in a number of cases. We rather looked at rapid reskilling and rapid redeployment of talent to meet business needs and fill, sk fill skill gaps, which was almost what we're trying to do on the long-term time horizon, but compressed into, in some cases, a matter of days and weeks. Um, I mean, a couple of, exa of examples there, Kate. In, in Spain, we launched a program that we call Talent in Motion. And that was redeploying and reskilling FTEs, full-time employees from claims and contact center roles into other parts of the business. And, and it was really about matching supply and demand very quickly and in an agile manner. And similarly in, in Italy, uh, another one of our, our large businesses, we saw a decrease the workload in claims, underwriting and retail distribution as volumes in those areas dropped. And at the same time, we saw a pickup in, in, in a lot of our operations uh, uh, areas. So we were able to respond to that need to support distributors and customers remotely. And of course, it wasn't a perfect uh, fit, but we were able to redeploy people and we were able to really sort of underpin this concept that's so vital for us of doing the right thing for our people and trying to promote job security to the extent that we possibly can. Um, we've been launching internal talent marketplaces in a number of markets in Zurich, North America, for example, and that also has been extremely valuable in trying to navigate employees to opportunities in response to shifting business needs. And that comes uh, to also creating apprenticeships and internships, mm -hmm. those actually double in the organization over this, this period we brought more younger people into the, uh, into the organization. And that comes back to the responsibility point also that I mentioned earlier in terms of doing the right thing, because we're very keen that on youth employment, we, we bring uh, younger people in, and that's doing the right thing, not just for our business, but also for society more broadly, given some of the pressure on, 
on, on, on younger people leaving uh, education. And then to your last point on transparency, um, I think it's vital that we have transparency in the organization on two fronts. Firstly, in terms of opportunities, and that's why we've been investing in uh, a system solution that gives us uh, AI-enabled proximity analysis and starts to use skills uh, rather than roles as the common currency within the organization. So what skills do you have within a consistent job family? We've done a lot of work to harmonize job families, competency models, and the whole knowledge architecture. And we've used the WEF taxonomy there. That's been very helpful. And then the other component of that is give people transparency around pay. By the way, I would, I would, I would want to say we're not there yet, but this is the vision. Um, because we're introducing broadbanding. We think that uh, once we do that, we want to give people much more visibility of lateral opportunities within the organization. And by broadbanding, what I mean is you, you're not, uh, you don't have the barrier that you might historically have had of bumping up against mm -hmm. of the range. You can actually move laterally, much more broadly. But why not give people visibility of that? What jobs are paid? What ranges are, are available? And then help people make informed choices. I think this is part of the, the black box that HR has been, you know, keeping all of this information secretive and uh, well, and I think it needs to be much more open. Well, also, you said right at the beginning, you know, this has to be a, a line manager's responsibility, not HR. And on, on many fronts, if we want to move to that uh, that position, we need to open up what you say is, is the black box. Um, Zurich's philosophy and values come through really clearly and it's it's evident that you've also done a lot to actually empower local markets to take these philosophies and, and make them their own and, and it sort of sparked two questions in my mind one how is the HR structure organized in order to enable that global local model and and secondly any other great examples of some innovations you've seen in some of the local markets as a result? Yes, I think uh, it goes back to um, what we talked about earlier, that this is, this is, this is a sort of HR-facilitated uh, initiative, but one that the business really has to own and embrace. Um, and, and the way that we ourselves against that, firstly, we have a HR team that are really working on a community of practice basis. And by that, I mean, obviously, we have a team sitting at the corporate center level, at the group level, who all focused on is, 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 is managing work sustainability in its different forms. And a key project that we're driving at the moment is, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the harmonization of knowledge architecture, the way in which we bring that forward to employees from a system perspective and, and how we bring that together in, in terms of an integrated compensation solution. So that's all and the way that we're bringing that to life through, I would say, the central nervous system of the organization is that we've created a group of job family owners. We have uh, 13 technical uh, academy structures. And within those academy structures, uh, we have somewhere in the region of 90 different job families. And each of those job families has a job family owner. So this is someone from the business, from actuarial or from you know, risk engineering, from those areas of the business that has real subject matter expertise. And we're using that group as our extended network, if you like, to be thinking 
and acting on how do you bring this forward within your, your job fund. On the other side, then, we've been pushing it into the business units and saying, how are you going to, how are you going to bring this to life? Learning culture, for example, one of the big topics was we don't have enough time to learn. We want to learn, but we, we don't have enough time. So we, in Singapore, as an example, uh, brought forward this initiative called DEAL, which is Drop Everything and Learn. And it's every second Thursday of the month, that morning of that day is dedicated to training. And everyone trains. There's no exceptions. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not a, a nice to do. It's an expectation. And everything else in the business stops. So we're, we're looking at examples like that. We've had a focus month on curiosity and learning that ran you know, around the UN International Day of Education and Digital Learning Day. Uh, we have a, a campaign running in our EMEA region, which is called Be Future Ready. This is an upskilling campaign, which actually brings leaders into the spotlight, participating and sharing content around themes like data, automation, digital, et cetera. We've also kind of been bringing in uh, apprenticeships more on data and digital. In the UK, for example, we now have launched our first data and digital apprenticeships. So there's actually been a tremendous amount of grassroots initiatives at unit level. And I think having this network also enables us to lift and shift the best of these items. Well, David, I know that the first time I heard about your deal initiative, I think uh, I pinched the idea for my own team. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think we're all grappling with how do we make um, learning, upskilling, reskilling, and work part of the same engine. And you certainly mm. listen to some good ideas. I love that phrase. You know, HR is the facilitator of the organizational nervous system. Um, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your job family owners, because I do think that um, having those 90 job family owners is allowing you to get some stability into your architecture. And I think that makes it easier to work with some of the tech solutions that you mentioned. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit about how technology and humans are sort of working together to do some of the things you've flagged up from, from skills matching to architecture evolution. Yeah. I, th I think one of the things that we, we, we had to take a step back on this journey, um, and we recognized it probably you know, two or three years ago, uh, we, we had such a plethora of different uh, talent and uh, learning uh, tools and capabilities in the organization that really they didn't talk to each other. And that was a problem because this new world, we really want to focus more on transferable skills. And we know that we focus more on core skills that can transfer from one job family to another. And this goes back to this point around workforce planning. Uh, you know, we, we recognize that some roles will be automated. Many more will be augmented by technology. So we have to landscape to people to choose the skills they need, but to move in the direction of this, of this change as well. And so we did a tremendous amount of work, Kate, to harmonize uh, job families, knowledge architecture, um, and that means you know, common consi and consistent competencies, competency models, uh, similar proficiency level mm -hmm. and, and, and ways in which we assess performance. And the next is, is now we bring that all onto a system solution where we use AI 
Uh, we use proximity analysis to help people look at where they can shift across different roles. What is their level of uh, overlap with other roles in the organization? And then uh, help direct them to where they need to build the skills uh, through gap analysis. So AI is tremendously important here. And, and having a common architecture is, is, is also important. And then, of course, digital skills more broadly, it's, it's an underpin for everyone in the organization. And we've, we've been working to make sure that no one gets left behind in that journey as well. So there's been a massive amount of digital upskilling for all that I think is really, uh, you know, a big part of the journey as well. And, you know, when I hear you talk about that, that responsibility as an organization to your people to ensure that their skills stay relevant really comes through. Um, I, I love hearing about how you are blending kind of human curation of what's important in these job families with technology. It's been fascinating to watch how some of that AI technology that was previously just used for acquisition is now being used in the talent management context um, to spur people off to new ideas because often, you know, when you ask somebody, if I asked you or I, what are our skills? We might come up with a handful, <laughs> but the machine <laughs> knows us better and actually comes up with a much bigger number, which I know is what is the, the basis of some of that proximity analysis. It's a very exciting yeah. time for employees to see where they could go and, and not be pinned into sort of prior job families or hierarchical architectures. And it, it sounds like your rewards is, is linked into that. One of the yeah. big facilitators of that movement is Talent Marketplace. And I wonder if you wanted to tell me sort of how, how is that being experienced by employees and where are you at on being allowed, enabling people to flow across the organization? Yeah, I think talent marketplace really sits at the, it sits at this intersection point between individual aspiration and, 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 and being more uh, focused on, on skills, inventory, and, and where individuals are. Um, you know, I, I grew up in talent management and I'm a big advocate for, if you try to br bring someone into a role with, all the boxes ticked and all the competencies in place, you're really missing something. You, you have to take calculated risks on talent. And that means actually the whole concept of what I call assignmentology, um, thinking long-term about careers. And I think for most people in an organization, um, maybe focus just on their next role, but actually, what we try to do and what we've been trying to do, certainly for higher potential talent in the organization, is encouraging people to think much further out. Think two or three moves out. Um, I mean, it's different at different career stages. But if you're early to mid-career, you should really be thinking of the next 10 years minimum, uh, where you can get to and how you want to get there. And then break that down in terms of assignments because I'm a big believer in the 70-20-10 model of, you know, 70% of the development coming from the assignment itself. So we've tried to be more strategic in connecting talent planning to talent mm -hmm. execution um, by introducing a concept that we call 10-year career planning into the, into the organization. So for a lot of managers and executives now, we're asking them to think three moves out and then think about how these uh, experiences accumulate over, over time. Uh, the talent marketplace, therefore, is an opportunity to bring that together. If I'm honest, 
think a lot of our managers still think too much about vacancy filling. I need a candidate for this vacancy, therefore I'm going to look for the candidate that has the best skills. And we've been trying to sort of educate and say, yep, that's one element to look at, but also think about the talent mix, think about learning agility, uh, and look at those qualities when you're making hiring decisions so that we move into a more proactive, more productive talent management push model than, than a pool model. So David, um, you know, these 10-year career plans that you mentioned, um, that's a huge effort across the organisation. And, you know, I know that through, the, through our connections at the WEF, um, you also believe in, in sort of mobility across organisations within, within, within organisations. How are you reconciling that? Well, I think, I think it starts with the recognition that the, the old nine box concept where managers would labour over where individuals sat, that, that wasn't really adding too much value. And yeah. so I stepped back and said, look, there are basically three categories of performance, acceleration, uh, promotable, and at level. And all three are really important for us. So the 10-year career plan, to clarify, that probably works only for acceleration talent. That that can really move two or three roles in the organization. You don't see so much limitation on their on their uh, capability. And for that group, I mean, I'm a big believer in you have to create swim lanes through the organization. I don't know if you remember, I used to go to my municipal swimming pool every Saturday morning. And, you know, you, I, and I was trying to be a reasonably good swimmer. And unfortunately, you know, you'd be running into these lilos and floating donuts and all different things into the shallow end and all the kids would be splashing around. You couldn't you couldn't swim lengths of the pool. They put they put lanes in place for the serious swimmers. And suddenly you have this way to go through the, the, the pool and you don't have to run into all these obstacles. It's the same with talent. In a way. <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. Talent, you know, create those swim lanes. I must say, thinking about 10 years in the current climate sounds quite radical. <laughs> um, and I love the concept of, of taking risks on individual because you've got that longer term vision of how they contribute to your organisation. But I have to say, David, <laughs> driving that through a large organisation, because Zurich Insurance has had a long history of being very successful, but this is a big mindset shift and behaviour change. How are you getting line managers to embrace this concept that your talent can go anywhere <laughs> and, you know, we want to have learning and movement as part of the agenda? You know, we'd love to hear a bit on that side. There's not one silver bullet. I think, I think there's a lot of training. There's, uh, there's changing um, processes like performance management. Um, there, there's a number of things. It starts with... The mindset shift. So communication and training has been very, very important here. We've run um, a lot of programs root and branch through the organization, Talent Management Matters, which starts to bring this new philosophy of talent management home for, for managers and leaders. We've introduced strategic talent uh, reviews, again, bottom up through the organization. So we're looking at succession planning. We're trying to take more risks on talent in the planning phase and we're connecting and understanding the aspirations of the, of the talent that we have. And that has to be a democratized process that's broken down through the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because our CEO is spending a lot of time in these sessions as well. You know, and, and we expect all our CEOs within the business, all our business leaders to be spending time just as they would be in a, in a business unit review, uh, reviewing talent as a current in the organization. So, so we tried to democratize it. We've trained 
a lot. We just run a program called Browser Future, uh, which talks to our top leaders about uh, themes of real resonance within the organization. Work, sustainability, and talent was a, was a core one there. Um, we're also thinking about how we drive a more purpose-based organization and how so there's been a, a, a sort of root and branch effort in this area. And then last but not least, creating employee uh, appetite and action for empowerment. We really uh, have encouraged our employees to be the CEO of their career. And that's the name of the program that we've been running with them by saying, you know, you drive your career. Uh, it's not, don't look to your manager or the company. You're the, you're the first mover here. Um, your manager will, will make time available to support you in this. The company will make tools uh, available to you, but take the first step, take the initiative. If you don't take the time to develop your uh, individual development plan or articulate your aspirations uh, clearly, um, we can only do so much uh, with and I think it's also a recognition that this is something, this is a big reason why people not only join organizations, but stay with organizations to grow and develop. So it's a really important part of our overall strategy. I couldn't agree more. We've seen employees um, judging companies on how much they invest in them and invest in their futures as peaking, as being really critical as we come out of the period we've just gone through. David, we could chat on all these topics for so long. My background's also talent management, and I'd love to dive into how performance management and succession planning is changing. Um, but we are at time today. Um, hopefully, you will join us again for another conversation on some of these hot topics. Um, you know, for me, I'm really glad you've left us with some strong views on the modern talent philosophy, um, as well as some practical suggestions. Takeaways for me are, you know, we've got to make sure this is a business issue, not an HR issue. Um, reskilling certainly doesn't just belong in a department of HR. Um, we've got to make sure that work with planning is done at the business unit level to take responsibility rather than at central. And creating a learning organization, one where we energize as well as you know, empower employees and take risks on them, I think is really critical. I'm still noodling over the, uh, the, the 10-year career plans. Uh, I, I think that is, is definitely quite different. Um, and you know, I love the comment about linking some of these initiatives to the important role we all play around giving psychological safety so that we can build those um, collective futures. Um, and uh, yes, being CEO of your own career sounds great. David, thank you so much for joining us today. You've shared so many ideas and thoughts. I'm sure um, the reader, the listeners will be like me, noodling over some of these ideas um, for a while to come. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're interested in this topic or others, please do go onto the Mercer.com website uh, and you'll see more interviews under the New Shape of Work series. David, thank you so much. It's been great to have you on the call today. Thanks very, thanks very much, Kate. My pleasure. Take care. Great, everyone. Have a, have a lovely rest of the day.